Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's our goal to share financial information that helps you in your both your financial life and financial vineyard. We hope it takes you from your roots to the journey of your vines and the influences in the air that help craft your delicious life. Like wine, life and finances have different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with myself, Amy Irvine and Becky Eason. Becky, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to be back. Becky and I have a power-packed discussion today that many people may be wondering about, especially with the most recent announcement of student loan repayment being deferred yet again, but also because in May, we see a lot of people graduating from college, and now it's time to pay the piper on some of those loans. So we're going to be talking about how to deal with student loans and options to help pay off those student loans. But first, before we dig into that, this month I'm featuring wineries that I want to go explore when I get back into New York this month of May that are on Cayuga Lake. Cayuga Lake is a cute little lake, a cute little, uh, well, it's not so little, it's a cute lake, a cute Finger Lakes lake um, that I don't often mention when I'm talking about some of the wines that uh, that I explore. And so one that popped up on the to be explored um, menu, I believe it's pronounced Trail of Heaven, I believe, uh, T-R-E-L-E-A-V-E-N. Uh, I looked at their winery uh, lineup. It's right up my alley. Some Pinot Noir, some Cab Francs, you know, some of the wines that I absolutely love. And it's one that I haven't been to. So it's absolutely something I need to go explore. So as I always say, life is about events that are supported by your dollars and cents. And that's one that I am going to go um, on a journey and, and check it out. So They also have food there for anybody that's interested. It looks like they have Sunday brunch from 11 to 4. And uh, Friday, they're open 12 to 8. And Saturday, 11 to 4 for some dining options as well. So anybody who's interested in exploring Cayuga Lake, that's one of the places I know I'm going to personally explore. And I'll get back to you later this summer and let you know what I think. Sounds like it's if you go to their website, it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful view from their winery. So even if you don't drink wine, you may want to go just for the view. So Becky, something to think about if you and Colin are out and about and looking for a place to stop and grab a bite to eat, perhaps. Yeah, sounds like a great summer adventure. Uh, All right. So speaking of adventures... What a perfect segue. We have the month of May is one of the biggest graduation months for college students. Um, Some do graduate in December, but May tends to be the bigger time that graduation is happening. 
So pretty soon people are going to start getting letters in the mail saying it's time for you to either make an election to defer your payment or it's time for you to get on a payment plan and start repaying. What do you want to do? Uh, We've been basically for a little over two years now, student loans have been in deferment just under federal um, guidelines, and we're seeing that a little bit longer, (laughs) most recent news that was released. But let's talk about normal times. Let's talk about what it looks like when we normally graduate. You have a few months to defer before you, you know, basically they're saying, go get a job. You have a couple, couple months to go get a job before you start getting into payment. Once somebody graduates, what let's kind of take a step back and talk about what what they do like what is the process yeah so that's a great question and it really depends on whether it's federal or private loans or a combination of both so federal loans um, tend to have more grace around them so usually there's like a six-month grace period where they want you like you said to go get a job get used to living on your own or whatever adjustment that may be mm-hmm. and then they put you on a standard 10-year repayment plan and, and what's that's the, the default I was gonna say and what's the general formula for that? Yeah, usually it equates to about 1% of your balance. So if somebody borrows the typical 27000 what would their monthly payment be? The monthly payment would be around $270 per month. And so that's the standard. <laughs> what are some of the other options that are available? Yeah, so for federal loans, there's also income-based repayment plans. And depending on the election, there's um, what we call repay, which is revised pay as you earn. And then there's pay as you earn, which is called pay. And then there's also like income contingent and income-based repayment. And depending on which election you make, um, there's there's an equation that it's 10 to 15% of your discretionary income. So they take your income, they subtract 150% of the federal poverty level based on your household size. And then they take a percentage of that. (laughs) You need a map to work out some of those numbers, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then there's also some graduated payments. And um, uh, so there's graduated and then there's, uh, let's see, what's the other one that's beyond graduated? Because graduated steps up every two years. And then there's, what's the other one? There's some extended. Extended. Thank you. And that's more set. That's like you have a locked in amount for so many years. And it's not really based on income. It's just you're dragging the loan out, basically. Yeah. So basically, they get more interest out of you because it's a longer period of time. Now, obviously, the 10-year is the cheapest, right? Because you're getting it paid off under standard pay. And I say, obviously, it's not so obvious because what if you're in a, what if you're in a plan where, or what if you're in a public service um, forgiveness job? Yeah. If you're in a public service um, forgiveness job, that's eligible for what's called PSLF, just public service loan forgiveness. Then you really want to evaluate your personal situation. Because depending on how much you borrowed and how much your income is, you may actually not want to be on the standard plan because under the standard plan, there'd be nothing to forgive after 10 years. Right. And I know a lot of people have asked the question like, well, what if um, is is the let's say that my loan is forgiven and, and, and we have to put it into context. This is under some kind of public service forgiveness job that we're talking about. Okay. So this is a this is a um, public job that you have. You're working for the government. You're a school teacher, you know, 501c3 type organization. 
Is that money taxable when it's forgiven? Under public service loan forgiveness, it is not. But what if I get forgiveness and I'm not under public service and I'm not disabled? Then after I believe it's 2025, then it is a taxable amount. Um, up until I believe it was last year, it was at any point in time, but under the COVID and CARES Act, they actually made an exception to, I believe it was 2025. So as long as the laws aren't changed again, (laughs) (laughs) then if you have forgiveness and it's not under public service loan forgiveness, then it's not taxable. What, what are some of the tips? Okay. So let's go back to kind of working our way back all the way to that first payment that you're talking about. $270 a month isn't that bad, but many people walk out of college with more than $2,700, in debt. In fact, I think the national average is closer to 50, if I recall from some of my research that I've done. So that means a $500 a month payment that you're going to have to make. Interest rates may vary based on when you borrow the loan, right? There's various interest rates that you may be paying. And again, you had mentioned it depends on whether it's a combination of public or private. And maybe we should even define why that's different. What's the difference between public loans and private loans? Yeah, public loans are actually... Um, subsidized in some cases by the government. So there's like the Stafford Direct um, subsidized and then there's unsubsidized. If you have a federal subsidized loan, then while you're in school, the government's paying interest on that loan. Whereas private loans, the government doesn't help pay those loans at all. So interest starts accruing the moment you take out the loan. And so they're run by two different organizations. And most of the time, um, private loans are not eligible for for forgiveness under any circumstances. Even if you, sad as this sounds, even if you die, your state is technically eligible for those loans, correct? Yeah. And they don't care if you're disabled either. They still want their payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's something that you really need to look at those terms. Um, If you're looking for the different types of loans, the interest rate is usually a little lower, but you're giving up some of those benefits. And if you do have, if you do have those private loans, we often recommend that you really make sure that you have good disability and death and and, uh, disability, especially uh, insurance. And if you're, if somebody has co-signed for you on those private loans, then we also want to make sure you have a good life insurance so that they're not stuck paying those bills because if they have co-signed for you and you pass away, they are on the hook for that. So be be conscientious of that. Okay. So then thinking about options to pay off those loans. What if you take both loans out and you can't afford the payments? What are your options for deferring either of those types of loans? um, Public loans have a lot more options because you can go on um, an income-based or an extended repayment, which would allow you more time to pay if it's an extended one. Or if it's income-based, it's a percentage of your income, but not to exceed the standard. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, private loans don't have as much flexibility. Um, So sometimes you can refinance into a longer term, but then you're stuck with paying a lot of extra interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they won't negotiate with you. Yeah. Uh, What if you don't make your student loan payments? Yeah. So they can actually um, go after your wages. They can garnish your wages. So if you have a tax refund, they can take that um, because they want their money. 
<laughs> they want their money. <laughs> and even um, even uh, Social Security, it's one of the few things that um, that because most of the time they can't go after your Social Security for debt. But in this situation, this is one of the one of the rare cases where they can actually uh, go after and put a lien on Social Security payments as well as a percentage of the payments. Okay. So what are some of the other secrets around maybe getting those loans? Let's even back up further. How do we keep the loans to a minimum if we have to borrow? How do we keep the loans to a minimum? Because you've mentioned subsidized, subsidized and unsubsidized. Let's talk about what those differences are first and what that means when the loan starts to become payable. Yeah. So in order to be eligible for the unsubsidized or sorry, the subsidized loan. That's the one where the government helps to pay your interest while you're in school. You have to fill out um, the FAFSA. (laughs) So that would be the first step is to do that. And then if you're eligible for that, take those loans out first. Because if you're in a four-year program, then that buys you four years of not, well, it'd be four years on the first year of loans, three Mm -hmm. and then so forth. But that buys you time of not having interest accruing. And then you still need to borrow more money, then go and max out the subs or yeah, unsubsidized loan. (laughs) It gets it gets the words get all jumbled. I know I I have that happen to me all the time. (laughs) And when and with those, you can defer the payment until you get out of college. But with the subsidized, if you borrow $27,000, when you graduate, you owe $27,000 at that point in time. With the unsubsidized, it's $27,000 plus whatever interest has accrued over that time is basically what you just said. Yep. What about private? Yeah, Private is good if you have to fill in the gaps or if you're not eligible for federal loans for whatever reason. Um, But that interest does start the day you take out the loans. And even though it can be a lower interest rate in some cases, you're still giving up the disability um, protections mm-hmm. and, in theory, the life insurance protections. Mm-hmm. And check the language of those private loans. Sometimes you have to start repaying those right away. So sometimes they'll defer them, but sometimes you have to re- start repaying those right away. And what about something called the PLUS loans or the graduate PLUS loans? What are those? Yeah, graduate PLUS loans actually don't have a limit on the amount you can borrow. So you can borrow up to the full amount of the cost of your college. So that's how people come out of college owing $200,000, $300,000. Yep. For undergrad, there's actually a cap on the amount of federal loans you can borrow per year. And that's why sometimes you have both federal and private loans because your cost of attendance may exceed the federal loan limit. Um, But once you reach graduate school, you can take as much as you want in federal loans. And um, with regards to those, like, so that's the grad plus, and then there's the plus loan, which is actually for parents. Yeah. So parents can help their child pay for the education by taking out parent plus loans. And that in some cases would really replace like private loans. um, Because they don't have a limit on those either. Right. They can borrow whatever the difference is. And in some cases, it is actually beneficial for the parent plus loans. If the parent is in a public sector that's eligible for public service loan forgiveness and they don't plan on retiring within the next 10 years. Right, right. And with PLUS loans, 
most of the time the payment starts fairly quickly after not grad plus, but just the parent plus loans. Most of the time the repayment starts fairly quickly, but they can defer that until the student graduates. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because the interest rate on plus loans are much higher than the interest rate on um, like the sub, well, definitely the subsidized, which is zero until they graduate, but the unsubsidized from that perspective as well. We, we try to encourage at least pay the interest down, right? During that period of time, any, any thoughts on, you know, that you, some of the things that you've seen uh, since you've been working in the profession, anything that you've seen that is a common sort of, oh, you should know this when it comes to student loans? Uh, That's a great question. I think the biggest takeaway is know that your estimated payment is generally 1%. Um, When you fill out the paperwork for applications each year, they give you your estimated payment based on that one year. So it's very, you know, deceiving because your first year, it might be an estimated, say, $70 a month. And then the second year, it's another $70 a month. So now you're up to $140 a month. And for each year, that just keeps adding on. And they don't give you that running balance. So keep a spreadsheet or keep at least a mental note of if I borrowed $5,500 the first year, and then I borrowed $6,500 the next year, oh, well, that's you know $12,000 right there. So my payment's now one twenty. And then if I borrow another 6500 the next year and then 7500 the following year, that's how we're coming up to the total 27000 for undergrad loans. And if you start to borrow upwards near 100000 or 200000 that math is still applicable, but now we're talking $1,000 or $2,000 a month in payments. And you better have a pretty good job coming out of college to be able to make those payments or be eligible for income-based repayments. You know, the one thing that I've seen is that people don't act quick enough when it comes to this sort of stuff. That's the one thing. They, they push it down the road. They're like, oh, I got a six-month grace period. I'm going to go ahead and take that grace period till I figure it out. Um, my recommendation often is don't do that. If, if you have a job when you come out of college, or if you, especially if you are in public service, you're a teacher, you're in government, you're in a non-for-profit, don't wait because you're pushing the clock down the road. You can actually have six months worth of payments under your belt or six months of eligible quote unquote payments under your belt before anybody else has actually started the clock ticking. And if you think about it, if you're, if you just graduate with a four year, well, I'll say with a a bachelor's degree, because sometimes it takes five years, but I'll say a bachelor's degree and you're working, if you immediately go into an income-based repayment plan, and if you're under public service loan forgiveness, that clock starts ticking the month you make an eligible payment plan. Now that eligible payment may be zero because if you are, if you had just graduated and last year you only had a part-time job and let's say you earned, you know, $10,000, well, you are under the poverty level at that point. And according to the government standards, they look at the prior year income, you're under the poverty level at that point in town. So your, your payment is actually zero, but that counts. So we have six months of payments at zero. Then you recertify in the following year, but your income is only for a partial year that following year. So your payment could continue to be either zero or extremely low. 
And you've got already, you've got 16 months worth of payments, 18 months, excuse me, worth of payments under your belt, um, counting towards that 10 year requirement. And, you know, that's probably the number one thing that I see is that people push it down the road and they shouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we hope that you found this podcast helpful in your planning for a graduation. We are thrilled for all of you that are starting out in your career and Hope that you all have a wonderful graduation this year and that you're able to celebrate this year with with family for sure after the last couple of years and everything that's been going on. As always, we hope that you share this with your friends and um, share, you know, like us on Facebook, on Twitter, iTunes is important to rate us there so that more people can find our podcast and and if you do have any questions or would like to um, like to throw a question out in our month weekly uh, newsletter called Asking for a Friend, please feel free to reach out to us. We, we really want to be here for you and we hope that you continue to listen and enjoy this podcast. Thanks, everyone. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.